I'm already panicking. <laughs> Miles McCormick is a musician and songwriter from Belfast. A tender soul in a concrete cranna, or woodland, this protagonist sits firmly in the bedrock of the idiomatic sound-orientated infrastructure. A bootstrap build-type character amalgamated into the woodwork of traditional music here, north of the wall. A chaser of rhythms and a runner of reels, McCormick plays weekly amongst fellow sessionaires around Sailor Town and neighbouring boroughs playing for pints and cavorting in the age-old tradition of nurturing the next generation of music makers. On September 13th, he will launch his debut album, Real Talk, from the branches of its third story, Ormore Avery, to transverse the waves of streaming services in a mass migration of Irish cultural heritage. Some of these songs have been ruminating for up to as many as ten years, meticulously crafted on the anvils of aspiration and resolve. This is the final step, yet the first, as a solo artist. McCormick is a founding member of Lonesome George, a touring indie trad hybrid made up of some of his closest adroit and indigenous friends. He was busy packing for Germany when we did this interview, getting his gear ready to manoeuvre his way across Europe with fellow creative cats prowling on their beat. The album, well it's stunning. It has a billowing sincerity that unarmed and untethered me. It's organic, kiln-fired, it's a time-travelling billboard of wanderlust and defiance. An eco-warrior in a world of synthetic attire. It reminded me of just how much time I have spent accidentally listening to music in cafes, bars and diesel cars, unconsciously programming my intellect to what is deemed as norm, at the expense of an eager heart, for music is felt, not only is it heard. So let the music of the folk again have her way with us, call us back to harmony and tone, to skin and bone and entwine with our memories and stories and tell our nomadic tales to our children. Miles is an old soul. He greets tradition with a warm embrace. And like those of us on this rock who have become accustomed to the suddenness of being taken upon by verse, he carries within his work that effervescent tenure to unravel mysteries and turmoil from both land and sea, to give voice to the aurora of colour that leaks into the veins of those who call into the deep. This is not a collection of porcelain songs. They have their rough edges and their grit and their defiance. They are so beautifully oblivious to anything else being made here right now on Main Street. And this alone fills me with hope. Hope that there are great treasures yet buried in these old hills, untamed, untouched and untapped. And whether there be gold in our mountains or gas in our caverns, let them alone. For our treasures are those which fill our eyes and ears, not our hands and our pockets. Treasures that only those who have learned to become one with the land can truly earn. I was listening to a podcast earlier in the week and they were talking about the movie Philadelphia. How the movie Philadelphia was such iconic, an iconic movie at that time. And what it did into the kind of the social structure and what it did to ideas, and it's so talked about how people are spending so much time on Twitter now just raging against the machine that no one's writing Philadelphia. People need you know the the, the creatives are wasting they're wasting a lot of their energy by just going against the system when they're not spending their time screaming through their creativity. I think that's exactly true. I think I'm guilty of that as well. Just by so. be, just by being on. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Oh, God, no. 
Well, but it, it is definitely using a portion of your energy. Oh yeah, it's definitely using a portion of your energy. But I think for the good in it, I think I think it's worth it. If it keeps you engaged with what you're doing, if you make sure that you're using it for a purpose and you keep it confined to that purpose or to that uh, amount of time that you've given it, then maybe it's okay. So better, so better both. So Miles, in a recent tweet, you said, um, you said. Whoever said that electro-folk based on classic literature wouldn't be a big thing might have been right. But here I am doing it anyway. Yes. So you've been in the studio uh, working on an album that I've been so lucky to hear and get a little snippet of uh, pre-mastered and pre, probably pre-final mix. Probably pre, You probably heard it pre-final mix, but yeah. it's all done now. And some of it was on the last episode as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for for lending sheep songs. <laughs> I was glad to. So yeah, electro folk. It's not all electro folk, just that one song I felt like could be classified in that way. Oh yeah, okay. Um So tell me tell me a wee bit about the last tell me about the journey to the album. Um I mean the songs the oldest of them is maybe ten years old, maybe more. Wow. But didn't really exist in the form that it exists now. Mm-hmm. So the oldest one, I, I only realised this whenever I had to think about it last week, um, but it was snippets of different songs that I wrote when I was about 16. Wow. And so there are three at least different songs that I've layered or I've cut uh, apart and then mm-hmm. stitched together into a new song for that one. Um, and it works a lot better now. Anyway, after 10 years later and putting... Of course. Yeah. That's a that's a hell of an achievement to carry a song for that long. Um, it's one of the only bits of advice I'd give to people who are writing is just to not let go of little ideas. Uh, keep them somewhere, whether that's in a book or I just keep them in a place in my head, more or less. But <laughs> how um, do you find the space and the time? Well, uh, ten years is a lot of time, yeah. <laughs> so it's not a it's not a very active process yeah it's just this one shelf with snippets of songs that you've just kind of gathered up over the years it's productive procrastination you could call it <laughs> great words um but the but the album itself so that's one song that kind of came about in that way most of the rest of them are just other ones that i've actually completed and kept uh it was from the last seven years or so yeah and would have honestly always wanted to do like a solo album like this but then the bad form of procrastination just not done it. Um, yeah. Actually, you gave me a nudge to do it, so that was that was very well timed. It's funny how you meet you meet people at the right time to kind of even just inspire you, if nothing else, to kind of oh yeah yeah I I I do stuff I I better I better do something <laughs> with the stuff I have. Yeah, it's well I I think it's okay to not. Uh, to just not push yourself, basically, as long as you don't lose sight of what you what it is you want to do. Yeah. So I didn't push myself, and but I was always writing and working on stuff. So I don't think it's time wasted. I just think um, the time is right now to actually record this stuff. Yeah, and so this is your this is your debut album. Debut album, and uh, but probably half of the songs have existed on my SoundCloud page before so there's yeah. a few there's a very small number of diehard fans who've <laughs> probably got demos of it somewhere of course but it's nice to even just to go in and to rehash those in a studio 
it's nice to do it with someone else's ears uh, and professionalism to make uh, it sound better. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> What's your favorite song on the album? Um, probably, probably that one uh, that has probably the electro folk one. Mm-hmm. To be honest, because I do think it's unusual. Uh, most of the other ones can be cla- can be classified as guy with guitar. Uh, in in most like most of the other ones sound like something else. Even if I don't know what that is, it yeah. probably sounds like something else to someone else. Yeah. Whereas that one, mostly because of the like the boron being like the only thing I'm really happy to to use Dermy Moyner's sound in a way that isn't like it comes across in trad music yeah. like to make it big and at the forefront yeah. um, so I think it's more interesting sonically uh, more unique yeah I mean it's it's such an interesting bunch of songs it's one of my most favorite things that I've heard out of here in a long time brilliant um, thank you the songs are so tender there's a real there's a real <clears throat> gentleness to them and a real softness to them and maybe in many ways even despite them grasping you and evoking emotion you know well that's perfect i mean that that is uh that's why i had to go into a studio to do it because if i try and do that on my own i miss some of those things i'm trying to convey whereas with ben mccauley producing i was able to actually focus on getting that across and like singing it's mostly to do with vocal phrasing and stuff that you can create that sort of tenderness I think but you need to be able to really concentrate on it and you can't when you're recording demos for yourself like what that's what I've experienced anyway yeah and we're sitting in your your home studio and there's there's a heart there's a heart to my left there's guitars everywhere it's uh it's a haven for it's a musician's haven up here, Miles. It is, yeah. Um, there's a, there's, yeah, there's a few things have been done here, like actually recorded here. All the Lonesome George recordings. Okay. Um, which was a big, big stress last winter, or the, yeah, um, or the winter before maybe, in order to actually, to make an album from the bedroom seemed like a big, uh, seemed like a big hill to climb, but. Yeah. Uh, but we got there and now the whole thing seems easier so I'm happier to actually use this studio for other things in the yeah. future. And were you the were you head of production? I was head of production. I was uh bossy boss <laughs> probably. Did you see a whole different side of yourself? Uh no, I just probably saw myself more clearly. Oh, <laughs> it was it was good but like we we weren't really ready to record the album. We hadn't really done enough practice, so it was a case of going, this is what it needs to sound like. We can get it there, but we, uh, we're we going to have to sort of force it to be there. That was how it felt. and it was, So it was an arduous thing where it really shouldn't be. And then in the future, like we recorded a single of making some other little recordings that we haven't released yet, and they're much easier to do now, knowing how much preparation to do beforehand. And it's not hard to make recordings, but you need to know how to be prepared.
I found out something about you today which I didn't know is that you studied at Queen's. Yeah. Sound engineering? Yeah, well, yeah, music technology, I guess. Sound engineering was what I... Studio recording was what I specialised in. So was that uh, that a degree or...? Yeah, yeah, degree in the SARC, which is uh, Sonic Arts Research Centre. It's a fantastic place. Have you been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the the Sonic Lab? Yeah, I've been to a few... A few concerts. Yeah. Whenever um, we had a gig in Belfast, I think we were playing the Students Union, so we got out of town early, and and Connor Barry was drumming with some of the sons at that time. Right. And he's like, "Hey, come to this free concert in the, at lunchtime." So we're like, "Cool, yeah." Yeah. And was it really weird? It was a guy who played bongos for yeah. like an hour and a half. Yeah. And I mean, you could tell he was super into it and he knew what he was doing and it was all timed perfectly and it had a shocking amount of meaning. But it's, it's, it definitely escaped, escaped me. Or was it tiring to listen to? No, it was good. It was really interesting, but it was such an interesting building because you're, I mean, the floor is... Is it great? Is yeah, it's it a graded floor. So it, like, I've only ever seen the equivalent of that in like... In a farm? An animal shed. Yeah. <laughs> So underneath, there's underneath it's an empty space. Yeah. It's a it's a grid. So if you drop anything out of your pocket, it falls through yeah. the grid on, into the the abyss. Yeah. And the walls, the walls. It's quite unsettling to sit on that floor. Oh, it's a strange. But it's a sanctity to the room as well. Like it's you you definitely respect whatever's going on in the performance. But sometimes have the you performance... performed in there? Yeah. Yeah, that's where I started a lot of the the electro folk that I'm still trying to do all that um, kind of. All that weird fusion probably started there. Okay. I think everyone who comes out of there brings that with them. Yeah. Everyone I've met, anyone anyone I've met who's come out of that place has, number one, been awesome. <laughs> and number two, been into really weird inventions and musical ideas. Yeah, they force you to do some weird things or, or they encourage you to do some, some new things, I guess is what I mean. And uh, yeah. so at the end of my degree I know that I sang a song I sang a song on the mandola at the very start of my performance and then I did something else and by the very by the end of the performance I was back singing the same song that I did at the very start but with uh, a chaos pad uh-huh. so I had made a completely different song on the chaos pad that eventually turned into the first song that I'd been singing yeah. and that song was like a William Blake poem that I had turned into a song of two opposing genres and then yeah. made into one. And you do that you do that quite a bit. Apparently so, yeah, I because still do it. The last I mean the last the last show you well it wasn't the last show you played. The last thing I did was was that poetry night in the Emerald Armada and you sang a song and then sang the same song but reversed. Oh, I did do something like that. I remember saying something like that. Um I don't know what I was talking about, to be honest. But I'm, I'm sure there's some that's, truth to it. You don't have to know. You're a, you're a musician. <laughs> we don't expect you to know, Miles. We just expect you to be to be awesome 
do you know what? I'm looking back at it. I think I was making a really obscure joke about the fact that I was tuning the guitar up and then tuning it back down again. <laughs> like it was more along those lines. I didn't sing a song in reverse. I just uh, was filling space. Yeah, I think you have to go to Sark to realize that. Yeah, I definitely went over people's heads, but some people. Did you enjoy it. that night? Yeah, I did. It was. Uh, it was really intense. Like to stand in the middle of a room. Oh like yeah, that. in the rhyme. Yeah, you got away with it because you didn't. Did I, you stand up? I stood up, but I didn't. You, pl- I just read poems you, and yeah, stories. Yeah. I didn't play anything musically. It's been like 2015 since I played a show, so I I'm out of practice and the uh, Dutch courage is is long but dissipated. And people want to hear your your choral voice again, though. I don't know. We'll see. So. Track for me your journey with music because you talked about when you're talking about songs you wrote 10 years ago and 7 years ago and in my head 10 years ago and 7 years ago you were just like maybe barely a teenager so you've always seen me playing music for a long time how did that begin? Yeah um, I mean 10 years ago I was 18 but, okay. <laughs> I was younger than I thought you were. But um You're like Peter Pan, man. <laughs> I appreciate that. You've been that. drinking from the fountain of eternal youth. I've been drinking from some fountain. <laughs> um No, so I started playing music quite young, as in, in primary school, playing violin, that kind of thing, then put that down because I didn't like it, didn't like the experience at least of the lessons and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and but was told like if you put that down well you have to do something of that ilk so then I joined the the choir like um, on a Saturday morning Mm -hmm. and me and my sister went to that choir sang lots of doing that for years I can't really remember how many years maybe three or four years in that Mm -hmm. like school of music choir and that's probably where I learned the most like substantial things uh, at that time because you're singing four part harmony every Saturday morning wow. like and doing and doing concerts as well so you yeah. kind of get it it wasn't doesn't even seem like a chore you just end up learning how to get it done stick mm-hmm. to the stick to the script basically because mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. you're going to work as a team um, that was really good fun uh, but also like all my family play music all my extended family play music to some extent okay. even if that like very much less so than me um, but they all sing a lot, okay. Like and encourage it. Just have fun with music. Yeah. So like growing up, there's a lot of singing, socially messing about, singing in cars and <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and like they all now, they're all older and they all have kids, but all the kids are now playing okay. something as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's obviously important in the family in a way that trickles down. Of course. And that's something that would have happened sporadically at family gatherings and family... Yeah, like I can remember in France, like uh, on holiday in France with a whole bunch of different cousins that were just at a random campsite somewhere and and there was some kind of competition like of, of different families who were camp... really cheesy environment, but some kind of competition like uh, for for all these different families and whoever won that competition had to sing a song 
so the family like won the competition and obviously this wasn't a challenge some people would find it like uh, maybe that was going to be embarrassing or something of like course, you have yeah. to sing a song there was no problem there was no guys. problem they did like Bohemian Rhapsody so <laughs> like uh, those kind of people yeah and so you sat down the violin and you pick up your voice as the instrument and then how do your hands then wander back to to strings to strings and things um, being being that's actually I, I was at some stage encouraged to go to guitar lessons probably because I'd left the choir something like that I probably left the choir and then was like well you have to do something mm-hmm. go and do guitar lessons and I went for one guitar lesson and it was like Irish trad guitar mm-hmm. and I hated it so I never went back to that and didn't pick up a guitar again for a couple of years and it was only whenever I wanted to as in whenever I heard basically when I heard the Red Hot Chili Peppers so like yeah, scar tissue and that kind of thing. Oh, what a tune. Tune. Um, I was talking about this yesterday because the chords are really, really useful. <laughs> um, yeah. So I went and figured out what I thought was how to play that on the guitar that was lying about in the house, and that was it, really. I kept on trying to learn other little noodly things, mm-hmm. and then eventually, a couple of months later, I realised that I had it all wrong and learned how to do it properly. Mm. Uh, taught myself that way. So you're self-taught? Mostly? Pretty much, though. So I definitely, like, these days it's all... I mean, if you can find the tabs online, then are you teaching yourself or are you yeah. just... You've got the resources there. Mm-hmm. I And I did do classical guitar lessons at some point when I was a teenager, like, because I wanted to again. Yeah, uh, so it kind so of stuck, it all sort of stuck together at some point. It all stuck together at some point. I had another guitar teacher, Paul McMorty. Have you ever come across him? No. He was he was brilliant, but like, he's a brilliant guitarist. But I don't think I was a brilliant student, so I don't know how much I learned from him, uh, except that you can always be better. <laughs> I think that's the role of the student to just to constantly feel like, oh crap, I I don't know anything. Well, no, but I was I was the opposite. I was I think I was arrogant in it, <laughs> and, you, and and to the point where most of his lessons were. Slap me and tell me that I like you, need to practice. Yeah. But but there's a level of arrogance which is you need as a as a as a young yeah, person. I was having fun to get anything done. I I was I was the opposite. I lacked courage as a kid growing up. If I had had someone, if I had I had a, a you know a jar of courage, I would probably taken it every day. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, so guitar, so then guitar, and then you kind of, I mean, because when I first met you, I don't know where I first met you, Miles. It just kind of feels like I've always known you in the city, playing at shows and and, and being at different things, and then whether your gigs or Emerald Armada gigs would be the likely thing, prob- yeah. likely places, or maybe after parties of Armada gigs. Yeah, probably, probably, and that was oh gosh, back in two thousand. You're probably talking 14, 13? 12, 13, 14, yeah, it sounds about ago. right. It was, was a crazy fabric of music in Belfast at that time, wasn't there? There was a lot of bands, there was gigs every night, you could find music anywhere. There was a lot of bands. I was doing a lot more gigging, traditional music gigging than, yeah. than I am at the moment. Um, I mean, you were playing probably mandolin when I first met you. Yeah. How did that, was that just the next progression on from... Guitar. That was just it was a Christmas present. Wow. It was a a really well timed gift. And then it actually sat for a while. Um 
sat for a while until a guy that I was in school with started to teach Joe uh, plays in Lonesome George started to teach him guitar so like uh, he had a guitar and it was do you want to started to teach him how to back traditional tunes basically mm. so taught him one or two chords and then he was playing a reels he was straight away playing D reels mm. and I figured I may as well also join on this journey because I was there, most that was purely by circumstance. Yeah. I wouldn't be playing traditional music if I hadn't been in that room at the time. Yeah, and now you're very much a part of the local fabric of of traditional music in Belfast. Well, yeah, me and Joe haven't stopped since then, so we've both been learning in parallel in that way, which makes it very easy to yeah. be in a band with him. Yeah, how many nights are you playing out and about right now? Only two. Only two. Only two, but like there, are, there are exceptions to that. Uh, like two a week, but then there's always a, there's nearly always more in a week, and then there's always Lonesome George stuff, which is on top of that. Yeah. Um, but like just fiddly D sessions, it's really just two, and then when cover things come up and that sort of thing, which I wouldn't be fine with if I wasn't busy doing something else. At the, yeah. like after this album launch and stuff I'll maybe be trying to get more gigs but I just haven't been this summer yeah I mean you've been well you've been making a record so it's you've had a been it's a been a busy time you know it's yeah. uh, you're probably going to need, need a rest at some stage as well mm, I'm going to need more gigs at some stage to be <laughs> honest forget about rest and it's, yeah. it's getting the name out there and getting the, the stuff out there yeah I'm just just staying involved mm. um so you mentioned Joe, and do you think that friendship is a big part of music for you? A hundred percent. I there's a in traditional music there's a sort of family aspect, like which I, is something that drew me in at the very start, knowing that because I know this handful of tunes. I can walk into a bar in another country mm. and have a like a language to speak with these ah. people. Um, that's just one aspect to it. Like that's that's friendship on a kind of a superficial level, actually, but uh, but still useful and and nice to know. But then there's also the fact of the amount of people you get to know much deeper than that through yeah. doing something like that, and that's just traditional music. Then, actually, all the people that I write with as in Lonesome George for example are all friends it's all on a friendship basis that we do that um, and when it comes to like who's going to do artwork or any other tasks that are involved in the whole creative process it's always I always want to even if I don't know them beforehand I always want to know them as a friend yeah, by the end of it have, you want there to be some kind of organic connection there yeah um, and so that it might be a task, it might be a job, there might be money involved, but hopefully people have still enjoyed it for what it is course, by the end yeah. as well. I mean, the experience, experience is everything. The reason I ask you about, about that is because for me, I remember when I first started to play and first started to, to do things musically, having someone who you're sort of close to friendship-wise is imperative in the sense that if, if they like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's like if he likes what you're doing, you like what he's doing musically, it's like 
no one else exists in the world, only only the two of you. Yeah, and ultimately you're doing it you should be doing it for, for fun, uh, and yeah. people are gonna be more attracted to that anyway if they can see some people having fun doing what they're doing. If you can see that everyone is a session musician, for example, then uh, unfortunately it's visible, it's and it's stale. Yeah. Um but there's people who get away with that. There's there's times when that's not important. Like yeah. there's times when you see a band and they don't know each other but they're brilliant. But I it's more for the the actual process that I want to be friendly with the people I'm working with. Yeah. You're going to Germany? Going to Germany on Thursday, yeah, in two is days. That with, is that with music or what's That's that? with Lonesome George, yeah. So we are playing at a festival on the north coast, which I honestly don't know anything about. <laughs> um, but it's on it's on a like a kind of beach resort kind of thing, yeah. and uh, it's a folk festival that happens every year. So we were in Germany about six months ago and did a small tour with a band, and uh, and they've played at this festival before. They will be there as well. So it's a bit of like a, a meet up with our friends as well, yeah. um, but we're bringing them over here in a month or two as well oh, to okay. do a couple of gigs. Great. Um, yeah, that's gonna be really fun. And you guys tour tour a lot. We have done our best to tour as much as possible, um, but actually booking gigs is really difficult in this country when you're doing it all yourself. So yeah. we 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 did a small Irish tour in winter time. And we'll do it again, but it was a lot of work, and some some of it went better than others. So we kind of we kind of just do the gigs when we get asked to at the moment. Yeah. Um. Like we were we were doing some festivals this year. We were in we were lucky enough to go to Latitude Festival and the Isle of Wight, and we're doing Electric Picnic. But these things just happen by chance. Um, when we try and put together a tour. It's it's difficult to convince people to come. To be honest, it's a strange it's a strange thing. Yeah, it could be hard. Yeah, you, I mean, going to a city or a town you've never played in before is really hard to, to go and headline. It's very hard in Ireland. When we did it in Germany, it was fine. Uh, mm. So go figure. We're happy to be going back to Germany. <laughs> yeah, the um, it's a difficult time. It's a difficult. It's a difficult time to be a musician in this country, I think. Well, there's saturation. You know, there's the, there are so many good uh, artists. So that means that there's only so many gigs people can go to. There's only so many gigs people can afford to go to or have the attention span or energy to go to. Of course. So uh, it's cutting through and being that one that people say, I definitely need to go to that gig. And that, these days, takes a lot of... Media presence, which think, is not the artist's uh, prerogative, but it it is these days. Yeah. Do you think that young people are listening to music the way they used to? I don't know what the young people are doing. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't know if students are going to gigs anymore. I think there's a lot of uh, capitalization of people's attention towards uh, things that aren't um, like the, the things that aren't local art um, yeah. so it's definitely the students union if it even exists anymore in Belfast uh, doesn't 
have a have a great hub for promoting local art. It mostly just tries to draw in the students. It's a numbers thing rather than a yeah a, a quality thing. Mm, there was a time in Belfast when when that was the biggest show in town. Which. Um, like Radar, is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, Radar was the biggest show in town. Radar was probably the biggest show we ever played. And it was free to go into. And we are on stage, you're on stage at like half twelve, one o'clock. And it was nearly every week. Maybe it was, it was. Yeah, it pretty much was every week. And. Yeah. It was so a, I haven't heard of anything like that since. Um, I don't know what the actual story is with the Students' Union, but Radar definitely isn't a thing. No, not any, not anymore. Tell me a wee bit more about literature. Tell me how that kind of plays a part in what you do. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mentioned Thomas Hardy because there are a couple of songs on the album that are somehow related to his writing. Okay. Um, I find... There are a couple of poets uh, whose poetry is obviously very lyrical, um, kind of symmetrical, easy rhyme schemes and stuff, and I just find it very intuitive to write a melody to that, and kind of um, kind of funny to to modernise something so old sounding, like it's a bit of a game. Uh, so I've taken that to extremes before and modernised it too much or like you know make it really electro sounding yeah. and now I'm sitting somewhere in the middle <laughs> hopefully a bit more tasteful a little more palatable <laughs> hopefully so but um, but yeah just amazing amazing lyricists and so Thomas Hardy also all his novels are kind of about some working class people um experiencing tragedy at the at the at the hands of the richer classes um that that, like that's the overarching theme across all the novels and that's kind of there's a song merry-go-round which is sort of based on his writing um because that's that's sort of how the story goes the the intro to the song is literally a snippet of conversation out of one of his books and then the the rest is about uh, taking down the money system and stuff. So it's in a very abstract way in my head. Yeah. It's a it's a retelling of all of of that scenario. Yeah, that's probably my favorite tune on the on the record as well. Cool. Imaginary clowns 
and imaginary wheels on the merry-go-round. 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 So that's the, that's the really that's the oldest one. That's the one where these snippets had been written ten years ago. Yeah. Um, but I just find like those I mean when you're when you're reading a book if you're actually calm when you're reading a novel then you get put into a, a very relaxed place that you don't necessarily find if you anywhere else yeah. um, and uh, songwriting is all about expressing uh, for me like these situations that you find yourself in that are hard yeah. to express yeah. so or, or unique to express yeah. so whether that's an emotion or uh, a feeling in this case in the case of why I use books and poems to turn them into songs is kind of because it's a feeling that you can't put into words yeah it's a very to me poetry is a language all of its, of its own yeah that people turn to I think people turn to in times of joy in times of crisis in times of lament um, I think societies turn to it as well um, but poetry is a, poetry for me is a, a language that is there for everyone to to use at certain times in life some people will never publish poetry some people will never write it or write it or, or perform it or, or even let another soul hear those things but it's a gift to humanity I guess I see it that way it's also very direct it, it, it can be very direct um, yeah. like you, you're summarising things in what might be a frivolous way but it's still uh, it's still not not massively embellished it's usually quite to the point just by nature of being just words yeah um, I don't know. There isn't there there isn't a strong line between different art forms uh, in terms of why they exist. Yeah. So uh, it's just different methods of doing the same thing, whether it's painting or or talking. Yeah. Um, you're still trying to express the intangible, or absolutely. I like I like the way you you put that as well. Yeah. Are you? proud of what you've made yeah I'm I'm satisfied that the songs the songs express what I wanted them to express so uh, there's nothing more that that collection of songs can do for me uh, other than uh, yeah come across how I wanted them to and I'm pretty sure they do so and you know there's that element that there's that element when you create anything where you give it away and that's like that's like the full stop or the ending and it's like the turn of a page when you give give it away it, it almost metaphorically clears space inside of your head to create the next thing and do the next thing I love it yeah and I'm already thinking about what those things are I have <laughs> I have many plans but I always have too many plans so I have to edit that down somewhat but um, yeah. I, I am enjoying the fact that this bulk of stuff in my head is done 
and doesn't need to be uh, worried about anymore. Tell me about your harmonium. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, the harmonium, there's one track on the album that's just harmonium. There's a couple of other times where I use it, but um, just harmonium and voice anyway. And it does this accidental ripply thing, like it makes a sort of shimmery, ripply sound, but it doesn't do it anymore. So, wow. So that at least it was captured for the album because it it did this. It made this accidental thing happen for for years and years and years, and then brought it to the park a while ago for some reason seemed like a good idea and then whenever I took it out of the box later on when I got home it just didn't do it anymore so I'd, I never understood why I did it anyway yeah do you know where it came from the the instrument yeah so the instrument came from my, my dad would have bought it in Delhi whenever before I was born wow so it's it's, it's actually an amazing thing but it's because it's big and obviously old it kind of smells old and <laughs> It's dusty and broken in ways, but um, it was always like that, and it was in a box in his flat, uh, and I can remember being like a toddler and getting it out to, maybe not a toddler, I can remember being small enough to, to not have much of an attention span, but yeah. still to get it out sometimes and have a go, wow. uh, and it was many years later that I realised how, uh, how interesting it was. And oh, it's yeah. so good. Yeah. And so, did you? Do your parents? Did your parents travel a lot? Yeah, at that, at that before I was born, they travelled a lot. Now I've never travelled, in that sense at all, with my mum, or not, and not too much with my dad because. They they lived they lived in Singapore before I was born. So wow. because they were on that side of the world, I think they were making the most of being there of and travelling about, uh, wherever they could. Before I was born, they moved to Belfast. So yeah, uh, the only traveling I ever did with them was to like England. Are they from here? They're f- they're both from Newcastle upon Tyne. Wow. Uh, more le- more or less. Uh-huh. Yeah, kind and your of. Your grandparents are they English? Yeah, same like Newcastle upon Tyne. They like they both grew up in the same street. It's that kind of thing. Yeah. Different era. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What do you do then when you're not playing music, or does there such does there such a time exist in your in your life? There's plenty of times exist. As much as I like to appear productive, <laughs> I don't do an awful lot of practice. I can just I, I <laughs> when I when I if I when I think about you, Miles, I just imagine this mystical creature who just appears in 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 different pubs in Belfast or, or I don't know across the world to entertain crowds of people. Any given any given day. Well, that means that the illusion is the is illusion real. is fantastic. <laughs> um, but that's ultimately what it is. I don't know. I spend most of my time. I spend most of my time cycling about and uh, looking for, looking for people to talk to to fill my day oh. uh, while I um, make plans for the next uh, gigs and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I'm always thinking about something in the not too distant future, mm. but uh, I don't have I don't have a great deal of other hobbies other than new ways of uh, expressing the same kind of thing that yeah. I already do. Um, do. Do you process stuff kinetically? 
So do you have to kind of be on the move to kind of process things? Just because you mentioned your bike? I think it really helps to get out and about. Like we're in this room now where I do most of my practice and work and that kind of thing, but I won't get anything done if I stay here. So uh, that's kind of why I get out on the bike is to go and clear my head and then I can come home and actually do whatever work it is that I I was... So I, I spend a lot of time planning when I'm on the move like thinking about other things mm-hmm. but I don't I think I probably need to stop to actually process things yeah yeah it's, it's interesting because I process I process process everything statically so I I just kind of sit sit down and and process reams of information without making a sound you just have a time where you sit and think oh, just constantly <laughs> I think I'm like you in that sense I can't. do you have a chair at a window or something um, <laughs> I have different chairs in the house for different things so the kitchen is a really good place for writing songs the kitchen table to the right hand side of the kitchen table um, yeah there's always a chair where you, where you write songs I think. Yeah. do you have a chair where you write stuff I have a corner where you write stuff. Well, I have a room. I have a corner where I write stuff. The, the I have wing. a routine in different chairs uh, for for that routine. It's not too dissimilar. You have I a think. chair where you eat your breakfast in. A chair where you eat, you know, <coughs> sit down and drink copious amounts of milk. This is just me. I'm talking about yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I definitely had a chair whenever I was a teenager where I would just sit and think, and that was. Uh, that was quite funny. And it was by a window. Got very... Chairs chairs are underrated, Miles. The the yep, yeah, underrated, sometimes underheated. We need to start a chair <laughs> a chair business. A thinking chair business. That could work. Brazilian wood. <laughs> Coca-Cola thinking Coca-Cola. chairs. Or Irish bog oak. Yeah. I don't know about frivolous chairs. Frivolous chairs. Is that the name of the chair? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> chairs, chairs for wasting time in. Yeah. Like doing a crossword. Terrible waste of time for me. Sudoku. No, not a big fan of Sudoku. Not a big fan of numbers in general. I, um, I think at times I think that I'm a fan of Sudoku. But uh, it's it's not healthy. It's just it it's just me wanting. It's a sign that you're too stressed if you want to do Sudoku. If you want to do it. It's funny because my nan, my nana, will she'll spend, she'll spend a portion of her day just doing a crossword, just to keep herself sharp. She just she does that all the time. Does she do the cryptic ones? Oh, I don't I don't know. Cause I don't know. She could be like some kind of epic crossword doer. And she could be famous around the world, and I don't know. It's funny because I was somewhere recently, and there's a bus driver parked across, parked across just the space from me, and he was sitting doing the crossword, reading the paper, happy as Larry. And I thought, you're just living life, mate. How do you take care of your mental health, Miles? Um, it's a good question. I with lots of uh, hemp tea and cycling 
I feel like uh, I feel like it's very easy to fall into bad traps for musicians. Um, like there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of problems that I've had with like wrongly positioning my own ambition as being something that needs to be needs to be somewhere um, as opposed to putting your your health physical and mental health first mm-hmm. and then everything else after. So more recently, I've just been not worrying about where any of my career stuff goes and not beating myself up for being a musician which is possible for people to do as well of course um but mostly like exercise like cycling is part of that to be yeah. honest and uh taking downtime so i like talking about processing things whether it's stationary or on the move, I, th- I I need alone time to process things. So that's why cycling, even if even if there aren't that many things I need to do that day uh, that take me out and about, it's still important that I go and do it because then I've spent some time on my own and then uh, I, I'm free to yeah. do whatever else. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm similar. I, I recharge by myself. Yeah. And then I kind of come back into society or, or back into to normal life. It's definitely, it's something that I have been on the wrong side of before. Like, uh, spent many years partying too much, pro- probably still do. Like, um, but that's... It's better. It, it's better now because I'm with better people and okay. uh, like a better form of partying. It's basically just playing music. Yeah. The thing about mental health is we we all have it. You know, we all have our, our you know emotional health. We have our physical health, but we all have we all have mental health, and we all. It's just that we talk about it a lot more now. Yeah. Whereas beforehand people didn't talk about these things, they just kinda of suffered in silence or they they drank away their pain or Yeah, so a friend of mine was talking yesterday or the day before about uh fiddle player Tommy Peoples and saying that he or like apparently he um had really bad stage fright and that kind of thing mm. and I said, Well, was he a big drinker? It's like Yeah, apparently so. It's like well in Irish culture mm. or especially Irish musician culture there has never been a system for like helping people through these things before oh, wow. so it, it, it's it's quite an easy conversation now uh, simply because it's not unheard of but 20 years ago and 30, 40, 50 years ago it mm. would have been impossible so you just had these people who didn't know there was another way um, yeah. kind of drinking because they were doing a gig yeah. Uh, and and that kind of that's one example of yeah. uh, a way it manifests. Like. Yeah, I mean, and you, you know as well as I do. Sometimes you you do a sound check at five o'clock. You're not on stage to midnight. Yes. And that's it. That's a that's a strange place. Yeah. Killing time, spending time. You can't really write during that time because the anticipation of playing is is in the air. And you don't really have alone time either. No, no, um, no. 
I don't have advice for that because I've taken myself out of that kind of gigging a long time ago. Although, like, it's likely to come back. It's not you can't take yourself fully out. Well, Miles, when you're playing, when you're playing stadiums and playing around the world, you'll just have to suck it up. Yeah. Um, no, uh, like, because I, I used to play in a rock band, and that was before I got the mandolin, and oh, so I would have loved to see you in a rock band. <laughs> um, yeah, it was good fun, um, but. There's so much more work. The more of a backline you have, the more time that you're gonna be at that bar for, and so it was like five o'clock. Loaded, bringing the drums from the practice room into the car, yeah. take the car to the bar, bring them upstairs, do the sound check. That's already like pummeling your ears and all your senses really. Oh gosh, yeah. And then you're waiting for a few hours to play, and then you'd have to do it all again in reverse at the end of the night. And um, then I got given a mandolin, and I was like, I'll just, I'll just bring this to gigs now and I don't have to bring the other stuff and so it's gotten a lot smaller yeah yeah it's easy to transport a mandolin in an airplane yep walk straight on um I saw a hack the other day a guy was getting on a plane with his guitar and he he turned it upside down and put it on his back upside down in the case so it looked smaller it wasn't sticking up in the air it was the neck was touching his feet <coughs> And they didn't stop him. Yeah, uh, I've, I've, I've just straight up hidden it behind my back before. Oh gosh, it's, <laughs> it's such a grey area getting off getting on a, a guitar on a plane. Yeah. Such a grey area. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit shocking. Uh, there isn't a clear system because there's so many different companies involved and uh, different countries involved. So of course, uh, it's probably not going to get easier anytime soon, to be honest. But not for us. It's okay if you've got a budget. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a, if you've got a truck driving your but stuff. But is it or isn't it a friend who lost her guitar for a couple of weeks because they sent it to the wrong country and no one would accept responsibility for that? Uh, she found it. She did the work for them, located the guitar, got it like back to herself, and then continues to say to the airline, like, have you found my guitar yet? Yeah. <laughs> because, just to wind them up, because she, like, because they haven't done the work. Of really. course. Miles, you mentioned the Chili Peppers, who have been some of the most influential artists to you? Uh, yeah, so Chili Peppers, Chili Peppers only because uh, they started me playing guitar. Um, after that, I quite quickly listened to much heavier music, like um, metal bands, basically metal bands like Opeth and Tool. Tool are like this expansive prog rock band, but they actually write songs in what I consider quite a minimalist way. Um, and and they're writing about things, um, kind of spiritual things, I guess, um, a lot of the time. Um, like writing about human issues, but from a spiritual place. Okay. Um, and so I really like, I've always liked them, and um, they probably have a big influence on the kind of lyrics that I end up writing mm. and, the, and the way that I craft songs. Uh, craft is a big word, but the way that I, uh, that I, the options that I consider, like yeah. when you're putting something together, yeah. um, like uh, prog rock bands basically would be a bigger influence on me than anything. And then, like, 
occasionally something comes out of nowhere that uh, that redefines that again. Like a memorable experience would be the first time I listened to Joanna Newsom. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard her? No. So she plays the harp and writes these songs. And the album I was given after a party on the way home, they said, uh, stick this on when you get home and just to read the lyrics. And so I did in those days... Like, I was well in the habit of reading the lyrics yeah. to uh, along with the song. And there's only five, <laughs> five songs in the album. And they're about 12 minutes long each. And so this epic poetry in song. Um, and there's no one else like it. So that definitely opens up when you hear someone like that, like what you could do with writing yeah. a song. I think the reason, part of the reason why I like your music so much is the imagery. It's there's there's water there's there's gardens there's trees it's all the things that I write about. Yeah, there's a definitely a theme of kind of like environmentalism or something in the album and mm. or across my songs like love songs for the earth. Okay. Um, Tell me a bit more about that. Um, well, I th- I don't I don't know when it started. Like sometimes they're just easy metaphors to be honest. Um, because you're talking about things flowing and yeah. things growing, and yeah. so you can describe that with music. Of course, yeah. There's movement. You're 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 explaining movement continually. Yeah. And growth and 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 like passage of time and that sort of thing. Yeah. There's reference points. You can talk about a seed at one point and a flower at the next, and you've yeah. already made a, a, a tiny little story happen. Um, so partly it's partly it's because it's easy, like. Uh, but that's not that's not why I do it. It's it's just beautiful. Uh, yeah. Like these things are, um, I think they're relatable, but um, and important. Mm-hmm. Like important to, it, it comes from a place of like inner peace to write about nature. But there's someone as well. I don't think I've ever written a song particularly about birds, but the tallest man on earth. Yeah. Nearly all his songs seems to be about birds and flying and that kind of thing. Uh, so he's definitely doing something not too dissimilar. He yeah. just has more of a bird passion. Yeah, I was I was I'm guilty of of birds. So I've I've been guilty of that. Of yeah, that, of, there's a pattern. Yeah, there's a pattern. But it's okay to embrace the pattern because then you just get better at using it. Like I would have thought, maybe this is silly. Maybe I shouldn't have another song about rivers or something like that. But um, gosh, no, I mean. I've started to venture into townlands. Okay. So I've started looking at looking at roads and 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 townlands like old ancient townlands and, and chippies and chippies and newspapers and <laughs> seagulls maybe. The uh, the uh, anglicised Irish and find out what places were called before you know. Um, Do you ever read translations <coughs> or, or see the play even? No. That's one to look up because it's all about that. It's about the the it's about the British. Military renaming places, the oh. ordnance survey people are coming and renaming all the places to make oh. it more palatable for the English. You mentioned spirituality. Are you a spiritual person? Um, I'd say I'd say yes, but it's not it's something. Not, it's not a trick question. No, it's not a trick question. Or, or like, well, I don't know if it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say yes. Um. But comes and goes. I think in like inner city life for me, you I you can either remember 
where you are in the world mm. and try and have a spiritual outlook on proceedings or you can totally get wrapped up in modern life and forget. Do you think concrete hinders that that ability to remember? Uh, yeah. Or modernity? Um, no, modernity isn't itself. There's, it's like brutality, like like brutalism gets in the way of your um, like appreciation for for earth and the cosmos and that kind of thing, which I would consider to be where most of that my spirituality is rooted. Yeah. But um. Uh, But yeah, you can easily just get wrapped up in modern life and forget. So I don't have a I don't have a spiritual routine. I don't have any rituals that I uh, do other than going to the sunflower on a Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, I like the idea of remembering. And I think that I think that's I think we all go through that. I think we all forget, but we don't realize we're forgetting. It's only once we remember. Oh yeah, there's more to all this or. Oh yeah, there's a softer, there's a softer river inside of me. A lot of a lot of my journey has been about becoming. Do you mean becoming, uh, becoming more spiritual, or becoming, becoming love, becoming forgiveness, becoming friendship, becoming soft becoming tender it's a constant remembrance that there's another way but that's just like human development or personal development Um, maybe but is it based on something else that is do you have a reference point for how you want to become Mm. or is it uh, is it just happening naturally I think life's I think life's a constant choice you can choose at any moment who you want to be in the moment you can definitely choose between being selfish or selfless yeah in any given moment and you kind of have to sometimes. I think in the, in the pursuit of becoming positive and life giving things you kind of forget all the things you're giving up you forget all the things you're letting go of you know because love's always going to be worth more than hate it's kind of where I come from is like it's that inner frequency of you know you feel the tension in your body you feel the resistance and you let go you say no there's another way I can be and choosing to be that every day when you remember you don't realise you don't you don't realise you don't realise how I guess maybe it's like you're constantly like braced for for like something yeah and things uh things are happening and accumulating the effect of those on you yeah. is accumulating and you're like oh yeah let the tension go well, that's yeah it's important to have awareness of how things are affecting you and then to make the decision to release it i guess yeah where will you be in 10 years if the last 10 years is anything to go by, I'll still be in Belfast on the Oma Road. But um, but hopefully working a lot harder than I have in the last while. And um, and having put out lots more music. 
Yeah. I feel like if I'm if we're lucky, we'll still have that Sunflower Sunday session going. They'll still have us. Uh, I don't think there'll be the same people there all the time, but I feel like that's some that's become an institution that I'd like to remain. Yeah. It's okay, what I mean by that is it's important to me that. Uh, even if I was off gigging with the band or with another band or on my own or like because I have ambitions to travel more with music somewhere I still want the things that I do here at the moment to continue to exist so like the traditional sessions and things that we've sort of set up I don't want that to change I don't want my life to change in such a way that I can't do that stuff quite regularly yeah so um if I'm traveling the world playing music, I'd actually quite like that to be quite a modest amount, uh, so that I can still do the sessions. Yeah, so you can still be here. Yeah. What are your hopes for Northern Ireland? Um, a good question. I would hope. I would hope that. The, Ireland, in general, can can be more, receptive towards people from the north, as well as. Britain in general having a bit more awareness of people from the north because there's no there's currently uh, mass ignorance in uh, that is kind of kind of starting to change the uh, we've been in the news a bit more and that that although it's for kind of awful reasons it uh, there's a there's a benefit to that that people actually have to learn why they have to do their homework a bit in England now to figure out what's the situation here and that can only be a good thing for creating some kind of positive change, I think. Mm. Awareness, education is important. Yeah. When's the album launch? So we're launching the album on the 13th of September, Friday the 13th, um, in the Duncairn Arts Centre, which is like my favourite favorite place in Belfast. I've seen so many brilliant concerts there, and you get a... Everyone who goes to the gigs has a lovely experience. It's kind of bring your own bottle, sit in the sit in the quiet room, beautiful converted church, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna sing lots of different songs and uh, hopefully have a bit of an arc in the concert, going from something very intimate to something much bigger, and then probably back again. Yeah, full band, full small band for 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 some of the concerts, if that makes sense. Um, it's really it's a very small band. There's a guy called Pete Devlin, uh, from a band called Exiles. Okay. Um, who's going to be playing some keys, harmonium, and uh, piano and stuff, and we'll have drums and we'll have some, some extra sneaky bits and Dermy Moyna and the Boron as well. Just standard, but with that G is down to an F sharp.
Sunflower, maybe I think I definitely yeah, played it there. Did. How long? Tell me about that, like, that guitar. It's so interesting because it's got the two colours. Yeah. Um, what happened? Or, so or that come I am not responsible for this. I'm lucky enough to have acquired this guitar of the guy who played it really well and really heavily, and yeah. he beat a hole into it there. Wow. Um, but like doing finger style stuff mm-hmm. uh, he not he, or like doing tappy stuff mm-hmm. but he now just plays more finger style he doesn't really do the tappy and he for some reason he got an, he got a new guitar and he, he was acknowledging that this was just sitting in the case and mm-hmm. said I wanted to go to someone who's going to play it and actually it was before that I asked him can I borrow that guitar because I've always really liked it you're not using it and I want to record an album <laughs> that was about two and a half years ago oh man um, and so I brought it here I borrowed it off him for a month or something I brought it here and I recorded all these demos and and then I bought the guitar off him because um, he was like look if you if you give me such and such an amount yeah. uh, every a couple of times then it's yours and I was like Sweet. easy decision but it never got the album done. Life got in the way, and then, yeah, eventually. But I did. the guitar was ready for the for the for the album when the album was ready. Yeah, totally, and I'm glad I bought it. I, I like I realized that I wasn't getting the recordings done to the, the standard I wanted doing these demos, mm. and so I just sort of. But all the demos turned out to be useful anyway, so it was good. It was time oh, well yeah, spent. Of course. It was time well spent, and at least I knew at that point that I wanted to do it. But that was a long time ago. It's an Avalon. Yeah. So it's local. It's local made. It's locally made, and and yeah, they would have been the ones to f- do this repair job as well. Everything's been done by them. Cause it, do you know David Brown Murray? No, no, I don't know. Okay, so that's who I bought it off anyway. DBM. Oh. But he's amazing. 